You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Mark Beasy is president of Leadership for Lawyers, a consultancy focused on helping lawyers and business professionals become better leaders. He provides training, coaching, and consulting to lawyers and executives in the areas of leadership, innovation, management, and business development. Mark is a frequent speaker and workshop facilitator in the areas of leadership development, design, thinking, and innovation for law firms and legal departments. Mark is an adjunct faculty at the University of Denver Sturm School of Law and former adjunct faculty at the Center for Creative Leadership. He is a fellow at the College of Law Practice Management and an inductee in the Legal Marketing Association Hall of Fame for Lifetime Achievement. I've got with me on the show today, Mark Beasy, and today we're talking about leadership development and innovation for law firms. Mark, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. So, Mark, you've got an interesting background. I know that I read your introduction, but maybe you can kind of give me a 15-second overview. What have you done in your career that's helped you to get this perspective of leadership that other people just don't have? Well, you know, Scott, before I started my consulting firm, I was a CMO for large law firms. And uh, I was working with a firm in the West in Denver. And after about a year, we started asking the question, why, why do some practice groups and offices just do so much better than the others? And we did it in analysis. And I found that, that Pareto rule, that 80-20 rule that said 20% were growing kind of off the charts, double digits. They were adding people. It was, there was lots of energy. And 80% were kind of flatlining. So we started asking the question, why is that? Is it the market? Is it the practice? And uh, after digging a little bit, we found that those groups that were growing dramatically over the others had strong leaders. Mm. They made people feel comfortable, that they were part of the team, that there was a vision, they had a plan, they were held accountable to those plans. All those elements that we think of, of good management and good leadership, we started seeing. And the other 80% kind of saw their role as a practice group leader or office leader as an administrative role. Okay, let's make sure that we're getting our, our time entries in on time and reviews are being done. It's more administrative. And so the question was, how can we get more, more of the first type of leaders in the other 80%? Because if we can do that, then we can have a, a positive impact on the bottom line. And as a CMO, that really interested me. And as, as a former Eagle Scout, uh, that interested me too, because leadership was something right. that I did uh, leadership training is something I did as a, a vocation as well. And, and so we started uh, looking into what does leadership development look like in a law firm? What do other law firms do? What do other professional services firms do? And I started taking on as a pet project, what would leadership development look like in our firm? And um, uh, about seven years later, I ended up leaving the firm and I knew right away what I wanted to do. And that was do leadership development for law firms, help lawyers and leaders in law firms, both staff and lawyers, be more effective leaders. And it's not just a bottom line thing, but it's also creating a work environment that's more sustainable. You know, when I was a CMO, I think that it's still true now that an average marketing director or CMO 
lasts about three and a half years. And, oh, wow. and from my experience, you know, it takes you a year to kind of learn the lay of the land. It takes you a year to another year to, to perform at a high level and get projects done. You know, by the time you hit three and a half years, uh, you're just kind of hitting your stride. You know, you're able right, to make a difference. But um, I met with a, uh, a marketing professional last, last week for coffee. And she said, you know, Mark, I've been keeping track of all the people in the marketing department who have come and gone over the past uh, 10 years. And she said, we only have 15 people in our department, but we've had 60 people come and go over the past 10. I'm like, wow. do the math. This is not a sustainable environment to be in. So, so strong leaders can create a sustainable environment. And, and that, that's really been my mission as a consultant is to help lawyers and law firm leaders become more effective and create sustainable environments, by the way, that are also a lot more profitable and, and, um, right. and, and growth. So let me ask you this. When you had your initial realization about that leadership had a tangible causal relationship in performance, which probably meant profit too, right? Oh, yeah. Those that were in that role compared to the others, what was the difference? Did they study leadership? Had they been involved in sports or scouts before? Did they go through any sort of training? Were they just more self-aware? Was it personality? What do you think the difference was? Scott, that's spot on. You know, it's all of those things. Some had uh, training as youth. Some had uh, training in former firms. A number of people were ex-military, former JAG mm-hmm. officers. And you started, they just naturally kind of, you know, floated to the top and, and they brought a lot of the leadership skills they had from, from other lives. So what struck me, Scott, is that after doing a lot of research, is leadership is something you can learn and practice. Uh, we consider leadership to be uh, mostly skill-based. So like riding a bike or doing a forehand in, um, uh, in tennis, we can learn these skills and practice them and get better at them. And we know through research that by being aware of them, practicing, and then getting feedback, we can actually improve our our scores and visibility as a leader. So that was what interested me. Is all right. What what has what do we have to do to become better leaders in this law firm environment? So what do you think some of the challenges are out there that law firm leaders are facing today? You know, it's um there are many. It's it's almost a perfect storm of leadership challenges right now. But but here are three that are are top for a lot of law firm leaders. One is a change in what clients are expecting from law firms. And so we're all seeing this in the drive for different pricing, alternative pricing, different ways of delivering services. We're seeing how clients are bringing more lawyers in-house, and we're having to collaborate more with in-house lawyers. We're seeing more alternative service providers eating away at some of those services that law firms traditionally provide. So clients' needs are changing, and it's a dynamic Mm -hmm. world. What they're doing now may be very different than what they did a year or two ago may be very different than what they're doing in, the, in another couple of years. So being able to adapt to those changes, be innovative to create ways to better serve clients in a more efficient and effective way, cost-effective way is one of those challenges. Two, are labor markets changing? Right now, demographics uh, show us that about half of the world workforce are millennials. And millennials have come into the workforce with different expectations and different right. needs and different life experiences. And uh, as leaders, we have to kind of adapt to some of those expectations or at least negotiate with this new generation along those expectations 
so that we can continue to engage and retain and retract them. I've got a, three kids and two of them are millennials. One is mm-hmm. Generation Z. And, and I see this as their approach to work. You know, they have rather high expectations of leaders and high expectations of organizations and their need to change. And if they don't, they're much more likely to walk and find another job today than they were right. when I was their age, uh, especially when right. we had a different labor market. And the third challenge that's facing a lot of leaders is this technology, change in competition and substitutes in the market through ASPs. And um, 20 years ago, you know, the challenge in technology was, oh my gosh, I have to learn a new email system or a new CRM system. Now it's very much, uh, how do we use AI and, and how do we use technology to better understand our world and our problems and, and address them and automate things and, and literally change how we deliver legal services. And that requires not just a tech expertise, but an ability to team and collaborate with clients and outside providers to really create new ways of, of, of doing legal. And so every one of these challenges requires leaders to lead change, engage people in that change, keep people motivated, do strong project management. These are factors that require strong leadership. You know, it's interesting. I see that there's one metric out there that all the law firms have, or at least the big ones, the profits per partner. Mm-hmm. I think that puts a lot of pressure on law firm leaders where they've got to keep pushing their profits up because everybody else is. And that's and I've seen firms where I come in and I get to know the leadership and I get to peek behind the curtain and sometimes how they make the sausage isn't pretty and they're not making effective decisions. Do you think that that metric itself is forcing them and putting pressure onto them to make ineffective decisions? What's your just uh, your overall opinion on that? Well, I think, I think profits per partner is tied to an old compensation system and understanding of how law firms handle their economics. And there are other ways to deliver services, price services, and measure profitability. And I think what we're starting to see, especially with larger firms, is that they're creating uh, smaller subunits of contract lawyers to do certain types of work that are lower profit. And so how does that affect profits per partner? What happens when you want to collaborate with a a client, say, in competition with an Axiom, and you restructure or redesign how you deliver those services? What does that do to profits per partner? Is that really a a valid metric for how profitable the firm is? Can you find high profits as an organization in certain types of delivery systems that may not translate clearly to a profits per partner as a proxy for compensation? Right. So I think we're, we're not at the beginning of that change. We're in the middle of that change. And I think firms are going to have to find ways, uh, one, to serve their clients the way the clients want to be served, and, and two, how to measure financial success in a world that we are delivering legal services very differently. Right. I think that's you're spot on with that. So getting back to the topic of the leadership skills, how do you teach leadership skills to lawyer? What, what does that look like within a law firm that wants to grow in terms of leadership development? Yeah, oh, yeah we, um, we use four, four main tools. The first is experiential training. And that's the type of training you might see in an E&Y or McKinsey, where you are participating probably along with a cohort of 10 or 15 or 20 people. 
and you go through a number of experiences and classroom experiences and you, you learn by doing. There's a lot of mm-hmm. role playing and, and case studies and hands-on stuff. And we use online educational tools to support mm-hmm. that. One-on-one coaching is huge. Most of the larger programs I do matches training with coaching. And especially in law firms with partners, uh, they appreciate the ability to talk to a coach about something that's on their table right now that they're struggling with. And oh, wow. that, that often looks like, how do I give this other partner who was, by the way, my practice group leader two years ago, and now I'm the practice group leader, how do I give her feedback? You know, how do I have difficult conversations with these folks? How do I set a vision and engage people on that vision? How do I help my senior associates keep their matter teams more accountable because they're, they're not reporting back on a regular basis? How do we innovate? So a lot of those conversations happen in one-on-one coaching meetings. We also have cohort discussions. And I found that to be a very helpful tool in leadership development. Again, if we have a cohort of 10 or 15 or 20, we get together mm-hmm. once a quarter, once a month, and we start having conversations about what's going on in our groups or on our leadership plans, what are we trying to work on? And people start finding common ground. They don't feel as alone. They start building bonds and networks. And that goes a long way to uh, not just doing cross-marketing, but also helping firms have some glue and a sense of belongingness and a sense of common purpose. I think you're hitting on some uh, hot areas that a lot of firms just don't even see that they need to pay attention to. One of the things I learned when I got into legal 10 years ago, with my background being on active duty, going to the Naval Academy, teaching mm. leadership when I was on active duty. And here I am, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a sales guy. I'm a, I'm a recruiter, headhunter guy getting into legal. And I observed that a law firm is nothing more than a collective of peers held together only by conditional promises yeah. to each other. And that's it. Yeah. Anybody with the book can leave at any time. And so there has to be something that's going to hold them, and it's not compensation. There has to be that glue, and I think you're spot on when it's leadership. Is that something you'd agree with, Mark? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see that in the world as a recruiter. You know, what what firms yeah. have glue and what, what what firms don't. And yeah, and, uh, you know, if you try to pry somebody away from a firm that has that type of glue, that has those bonds, that common vision, and, and even if their compensation is lower, it's hard to do. Yeah. The vision of a firm can't be to raise profits per partner. There has to be something beyond that. I just finished a really interesting project for a, a firm in, in Vermont. And the management of the firm came to me and said, hey, we, um, it's time for us to update our, our value statement. And we want to make sure it's a living value statement. And we want to make sure that it's um, something that people buy into. Can you help us do a survey? And this is what we did. We created a survey with their seven main values saying and asking people, is this value important? Do you see behaviors that align with this value in your coworkers and in the firm management? And what other values should we be considering besides these seven? And so we got the results back. And this is what the management of the firm did. They looked at question one, are we on track with our values? Yes. Two, one of the questions was, uh, are you committed to those values? And we got anywhere between 87 and 99% commitment to those values. So now the mm-hmm. management says, we've got a firm that's um, you know, across the board committed to these seven values. And then they looked at the behavior questions and they, they looked at the areas where management and firm behaviors aligned with those values and didn't. And then they had 
focus groups for everybody, from the guy in the, in the mailroom to the senior partner, and said, what do we have to do to close the gaps where our behavior isn't always matching those values? And then we're going to take that feedback and write it into our strategic plan. Now, does that firm have glue? <laughs> you know, if, if, you're a, if you're a four or five-year partner, which may be a perfect target for you and, and as a recruiter, and you call and say, hey, you know, do you want to come across to uh, Robinson Nicole or, or uh, a large firm in, in the Northeast? Most of them are going to say, you know what? This is really a fine place for me because people are great. And the management is working hard to, to lead this firm in a way that, that has meaning for all of us. Well, here's one observation. I think that you could kind of take that and repackage that in a uh, robin egg blue box with the silver ribbon on it. And that's on marketing. Because in, when it's recruiting or when it's client development, you and I both know that it's all about distinction. What's different about your firm? Well, we've got great culture. Everybody's got great culture. And when, one thing I always ask firms is, what can you say about your firm that nobody else can say about their firm? And some people, they would have thought that I would have said, let's have a moment of silence because it's pretty <laughs> quiet. Well, what's, what's different? And I think what you mentioned, developing leadership skills of partners, associates, and staff. If a firm can show that it's more than just a book study, we have hired a consultant to increase the skills, that's different. Because you and I both know that's just not top of mind for most law firm leaders. They're thinking about profits per partner and just that one number, and that's it. My theory would be that if they would focus on developing leadership skills, take their eye off the profit and put it on the health of the firm. And how do you do that? You improve the health in terms of leadership and client development skills of the individuals at all levels. And I, I would say that, that the profits would take care of themselves, but that in itself is different. That would attract people that are looking at four or five firms. What's different? What's well, this? This is different. That's the one that's going to be around. They're going to have more retention. They're going to be able to recruit. And the rest is going to be history. Yeah. What, what do you think about that, Mark? Am I an out in left field? Do you think well, you, There's you, some, uh, you know you're spot on, and, and you you have expanded leadership training, uh, you know, through through the uh, the military and, and other areas. So one of the things I frequently speak on at conferences is um, managing and, and engaging and retaining millennials. And so in doing research on what millennials look for at work, and also seeing this in my kids, and what are they looking for? They're looking for recognition, right? The the trophy kids. They're looking for opportunities for advancement. They're looking for work that has meaning. Why am I here? Why should I care about this? What difference am I making? This isn't every millennial, but it's many millennials. And right. these are all really good things that we want to see in, in employees or young lawyers or, or even partners. Uh, leadership development offers a lot of that. Having strong leadership, like the example I just gave with the value story, or providing leadership development or skill building for uh, associates and younger partners or helping them live out whatever meaning means to them in the firm and giving them a pathway for that, which sometimes mm. means mentoring or sponsorship or affinity groups, all of which require some leadership to get going and to sustain. So I, I think you're spot on. What are some of the success stories you've seen, not just in terms of how people get along, but how did it result in retention of talent and retention of clients, more work from clients, 
other good things that are kind of the byproduct? What are some things, and you don't have to mention names of firms, but what are some specific success stories that you've seen with firms that you've worked with? So I did a, I did a leadership uh, program for practice group leaders for an AMLA 200 firm a couple of years ago. And 50% of their practice group leaders were brand new. All of them were probably under the age of 50. So they made this transition from uh, previous generation to younger generation. And um, part of the program was, was these cohort meetings where we sit around a table. We say, so you know, talk about what's happening in your, in your group. What are you learning in your leadership program that you're applying to your group? What, you know, what can other people learn from? What questions do you have? And the first time we ha- did that, it was silent and I was dying. And after the meeting, I found out that these leaders don't have a culture of talking to each other. There are 15 different offices and they, don't, they just don't talk to each other. And that, the first one got a little bit better, but, it, but we, so we kept at it. All right, what are we going to do? How can we share information? And we, we changed the tactic a little bit. But after time, after about eight months, we had a meeting where they dug into issues of associate retention and engagement. And um, it was an all-day all training session. And the managing partner said to me, look, uh, this conversation is going so well. We're heading towards actionable conclusions. Can we just skip the next two training sessions so we can finish this, make some decisions as a firm, and move on? And what we were able to do is change the culture in that firm from wow. not sharing information to being a lot more open and being collaborative. And, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is what we're doing this for. So we could skip the session. We could do that next time. But let's have a conversation and you know, play off this, this new sense of um, connectedness. Well, I'm sure that was exciting to be a catalyst for that change. Well, that's why we do what we do. <laughs> I mean, that's, right, that's right. fun, uh, you know, to see people kind of get it and practice it and then see the, see the results. So tell me more then about, as we finish up here, what are some of the other offerings that you do besides some of the things you mentioned, your examples, and, and how can people reach out to you? Yeah, thanks. I offer, most of my work is leadership development, training, and coaching. Sometimes that looks like a cohort program that might last six or 12 months. Sometimes it's a day of training. Sometimes it's coaching. Sometimes it's a series of, of trainings and cohort meetings. It's a mix. Often I'll use uh, assessments like Myers-Briggs or DISC, which I'm certified in, or using mm-hmm. a 360 assessment, not a 360 performance assessment, but it's a 360 leadership assessment. And there are a bunch of others. I also do a fair amount of retreats and um, one-off trainings. One of the most popular ones right now is a leading change. A lot of firms are saying, look, we have to change to adapt to this new world that we're, we're trying to perform in. How do we lead change? And I use an assessment called the change style indicator to start that conversation, to show that people approach change differently and it kind of opens up doors for dialogue on how to lead change. That's exciting. That's great. Like, two years ago, I, I made a tour of um, uh, Magic Circle firms, the large firms in, in the UK. And I asked them, what is on your plate for professional development for, for partners? And two things came across. One was leading change. And the second was design thinking and innovation. And that also goes to that theme of we have to adapt. Hmm. And so several years ago, I started teaching design thinking as an innovation process for law firms and legal departments. I'm doing one at the end of the month in San Francisco. And we 
steal the process first at Stanford's design school and uh, refined by IDEO. And we talk about how that plays out in conservative environments like law firms. And then we really learn by doing. So in these workshops, we'll go through a number of hackathons and teaching that design process, uh, using it on legal problems, either legal service delivery or internal law firm issues, and um, help people understand how to use design thinking in a legal context. Wow. And what surprised me is, since we put up that, that website, designthinkinglegal.com, uh, about half my inquiries now come from uh, in-house legal departments from Fortune 500,000 companies. They're saying, oh, we need to innovate, and our law firms are not doing it. So can you come in and teach us how to use design thinking for our legal team? And that's my And some of those have pretty big departments, too. Yeah. What I really like to do is getting law firm lawyers and their clients or law firm departments and their law firms in the same room. Now, let's go through this together because we need to innovate together. We have to collaborate together and we can benefit from each other. And that's, that's been the most fun. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for being on the show today. We'll have you back to talk about other things such as innovation. We'll definitely put your website information and contact info on the show notes. And thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Looking forward to meeting you in person sometime. Likewise. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.